and then walk back and forth. I, lumber, it's good. God made trees to paper and pulpits. Let's pray. God, our Father, Jesus, our Savior and Lord and Brother and Holy Spirit, I, I am asking God that you would be glorified here this morning, that your word would be proclaimed, that your Holy Spirit would speak what, God, you will to speak, and that we would all hear what you will us to hear. Words are nothing without the power of your Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit, words cannot be heard without you opening ears, so do both. We pray in your name. Amen. A couple things I would like you to know about myself really briefly. Um, one is that it is my life goal, at least in the last decade, um, to uh, be a pastor that can preach briefly. And the Lord is sanctifying me. And as uh, Sister, praise God, earlier for patience um, is part of how the Lord sanctifies us. So please bear with me. In the bulletin, it says um, that the, the title message is, is uh, Shh, Jesus is Preaching, Part 1. Um, I, I'm glad that Tom didn't put, you know, Part 1 of 2, because that implies that I will definitively be finished with John 17 at the conclusion of Part 2. Um, it could just be like, you know, the end of Fellowship of the Ring. I don't know if you've seen Lord of the Rings. And you know that Frodo has to take the ring all the way to Mount Doom, and it ends with him just seeing Mount Doom off in the distance. When we get to the end of the message today, well, I'll tell you what. At about minute 25, when I say, and now in verse 2, don't panic at all. We'll sort it out next week and later. We'll just see what God wants to do. But John 17 is where we are. It's known as the high priestly prayer, which sounds very, very high church. But it has that title, the high priestly prayer, quite intentionally. It is the prayer of our great high priest, Jesus. Now, if we really wanted to know someone, really wanted to know their heart, um, we can be frustrated by conversation sometimes because you know that you do what everyone else does, which is you hold things close to the vest. You don't reveal um, everything about you. Uh, sometimes we're just downright sneaky about what we share and what we don't. And so we all imagine that if we could just, you know, if we could maybe listen in on a private conversation, if we could listen in on a, a prayer even, or, or, or like sneak a, a peek at a, like a diary or a journal, maybe then we could know a little bit more about the real truth of someone's heart and character. But even then, we know that, I, I don't know if you've ever journaled on your own, but man, I, I journal like a lot of people blog or post on social media. Uh, even though it's just me and the paper and the Lord, I try to make myself as, look as good as I possibly can. We're not used to really being able to see the open heart of someone. And, and the honest heartfelt cries toward God would be a way that we could learn that. You read the Psalms in Psalm 27 that was read this morning. You have no idea how relevant 
John 17 is, the high priestly prayer of Jesus, to, to David's prayer in, in Psalm 27. Now, David was a dude who was not afraid to look bad in front of people. I mean, he poured it out. Read the Psalms and follow his example. See how much we need to, to hide and, and still be known as a man after God's own heart. Jesus is praying to his Father. And his disciples are right there. They're in his midst. It's like, because, you know, Jesus from time to time, he'd, he'd sneak off, right, to spend some time alone with the Father. But here in John 17, Jesus is praying to his Father for his disciples, and his disciples are right there. Jesus is allowing his disciples, allowing us who claim him, he, he is allowing us to hear his prayer for us, over us, about us, to his Father. Now, I think one of the reasons that we, if you've spent any time in John 17 or spent any time in the Gospels, we're accustomed to either being confused or, or kind of flummoxed by Jesus' words. I mean, sometimes Jesus speaks just in downright confounding terms. If you look in the parables, they're not just like little agricultural tales to be easily understood. You actually hear Jesus saying that he speaks in riddles on purpose, so without the power of the Holy Spirit, they wouldn't be understood. Jesus actually says that he speaks confusingly on purpose. And so I think if we spend any time in John 17, the reason that it doesn't really have the weight and the power that it should is we just automatically assume that his words have like a deeper, more poetic meaning, or he can't actually mean what he's actually saying. There's got, there's got to be something more to it. I'm contending that John 17 contains some of the most clear and concise and pure and simple words that we have of Jesus. The problem is we just don't believe them. So maybe what would bring you comfort, maybe me comfort, is so like I said, we're going to get to the end of verse 2 today. Maybe next week I'll get to the verse, maybe, maybe verse 11. Ooh, I'll just be blazing through it, right? Like maybe we can take comfort in it. Maybe, maybe I don't finish it at all. But maybe the only thing you take away from this week and the next is read John 17 and believe every word as it's written as it's proclaimed by Christ over his disciples. Are you his disciple? Then he's praying over you. I'm going to read through John 17 all the way, and then we'll start back in verse 1. Listen, and I pray, Holy Spirit, give us the ears to hear the words of our Savior and Lord. John 17, verse 1, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. 
I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and I love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Praise God. That is our Savior's prayer for us. That's Jesus' heart, and it's Jesus' hope for his disciples. Now, just like he, he doesn't hold anything back, and he, and he speaks so plainly and so clearly and so honestly about his love for his Father and his love for all those whom the Father has given him, he, he states this prayer as a hope. The reason we miss it as a hope, I think, is because we don't actually understand the word hope. Uh, hope is one of those words that the English language has just kind of ruined like love itself. We can talk about that another time, I suppose. Hope is kind of like a, we, we kind of feel it as though it's like a super wish. And we use it all the time in our daily lives. I hope I can find the Apple TV remote in the cushions of the couch somewhere. You know, and when I do find it, I hope that the battery hasn't been squished so long that the battery is dead and 
Then I have to use my phone to control the Apple TV. And then I hope that the Wi-Fi signal is strong enough. And I hope I can remember my login. And I hope I, I'm wishing. So here's my aside to the English language. I'm trying this out. I'm working, it. I'm working on it. Maybe we change hope to I'll be happy if. I'll be happy if I can find the Apple remote. I'll be happy if I can remember my login. I'll be happy if the battery's not dead. I'll be happy if my children learn to put the remote in a safe location and not sham it down into our bottomless couch. Jesus has hope for his disciples. He doesn't have a wish for his disciples. And he's declaring that hope right here in John 17. Hope is faith in what is to come. Hope is future tense faith. We have faith that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died the death that we deserve to die, but death did not overcome him. He overcame death and was resurrected and we can be resurrected as well. That happened. We believe it. We call it faith. You know what? That same Jesus is coming back. We have hope in him. It's going to happen. It's faith in the future. Now, sometimes when we really want to really do our best to try to make something happen, we're going to pray, and we're going to pray in Jesus' name. Right? We're going to pray in Jesus' name. Because Jesus says, whatever you pray in my name, the Father will do. So we end every prayer with, in Jesus' name. As though those are like the, the magic words that unlock the cookie from the jar. Now, the reason that's been emptied of its power is because we've all prayed things in Jesus' name and they haven't happened. So what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name. The S apostrophe always throws me off. What does it mean to pray something in Jesus' name? It means to pray something in accordance with his will, in accordance with his heart, in accordance with his character, as though he's praying it himself. That will be answered. That will be done. If we pray the things that Jesus would pray himself, no doubt, have hope in those. They're going to happen. Now, sometimes we have to wait. Isn't that right, sisters? Sometimes we have to wait for that healing. But guess what? He bought it on the cross. It's going to be ours. In now or in eternity, he has healed us. Can cancer defeat Jesus? Jim? Jeff? Jeff? Jim? Jim? Jim. Can cancer beat Jesus? Our prayers for, for the 19th Tom in this congregation bear. <laughs> Is cancer going to win? No, we've prayed in Jesus' name that he be healed, and he's going to be. Amen? Who is better equipped to pray things in Jesus' name than Jesus himself? If he prays it, it's done. And man, there's a whole lot of done in this one chapter of the Gospel of John. But we don't believe it. We don't claim it. Why? Because sometimes we haven't seen it. Everything that Jesus prays to his Father is either true what was true then is true now or will be true. And to a timeless God, what does that even matter? <laughs> then, now, Jesus prays and it will be done. It's according to his heart and his character. John 17 is Jesus's, it's his declaration, it's his promise. It's, it's, it's the guaranteed future of his disciples. And it's why we call it the, the high priestly prayer, because Jesus is our high priest, interceding to the Father on behalf of his people. That was the role of the priest, to intercede 
for God on, on behalf of the people. And that's what our great high priest is doing. We get that from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. I'll start in 14, why not? Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he's without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are you in a time of need? Draw near to the words of our Savior right here in this great high priestly prayer that he prays right to the Father. He didn't have to pray through anything, anyone. He prays right to the heart of his Father and he declares these things to be true about us. How dare we question the words of Jesus? So he says in John 17, verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. This prayer is the revealing of Jesus' heart what is first among Jesus' affections? What is first in his heart? What's the center of his own heart? That is the glory of the Father. He wants the Father to be glorified. Jesus says, glorify me that I may glorify you. What's the purpose of him being glorified? So he has glory to give his Father. He wants to glorify his Father. He says in John 8, verse 54, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. Yet does that stop us from trying to glorify ourselves? Jesus says, Jesus says, if he glorifies himself, it's nothing. But Tommy says, if I glorify myself, then it's something. I'm going to do what you... No. The center of Jesus' heart is the glory of the Father. Guess what the center of the Father's heart is? The glory of the Son. Specifically in Ephesians 1, it says the glorious grace of the Son, if we want to get really particular. And this is the infinite back and forth of God. I wrote this down because I didn't want to butcher it, trying to, trying to wing it. I don't want this to be wung. This is the infinite back and forth of God. The Father has purposed that the whole of the universe exist in such a way as to give His Son never-ending glory. And the Son uses all of who He is to glorify the Father. And the Father and the Son declare that none of it is even possible without the power and presence of the Spirit. And the Spirit declares that His purpose is to glorify the Father through the work of the Son. And the Son declares that it is good that His work is finished so He can leave so that the Spirit can, by the will of the Father and the work of the Son, open the mute lips of dead men to declare before all of creation, to God alone belongs the glory. To God alone belongs the glory. Jesus prays, Father, 
Glorify me that I might glorify you. So if the glory of God is his chief aim, what is ours? We've been doing a little remodeling in our own home, finally putting some floors down. The Lord provided us us with some money for some new floors. Very badly needed. I won't gross you out with the details. Um, But we bought it like six months ago. And then we had to wait to get this special waterproof membrane to put that down. And I mean, for for months, we've been like, if I could just get that waterproof membrane, then I could put the floors down. And then I got the floors down. I'm like, if I would finish this baseboard. And I'm like, ugh, I have to paint the baseboard. If only, if only, if only. It's like my heartbeat is what? For six months, it's been a floor, right? And put your own floor there in the blank. I mean, the silliest of examples for the most glorious of things. The glory of God should be our heartbeat, should it not? God, be glorified in all that we do. Like whether we succeed or whether we fail, we're going to fail a lot more than we succeed. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's Christ's example. It should be our heartbeat as well. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son might glorify you. Since this is such, this is such a heavy verse. That's why my, my breezy study through John 17 went, Arr! listen to verse 2. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Jesus has the authority. Not some authority. Jesus is not an authority. Jesus doesn't have some say or some jurisdiction. Jesus is Lord. I mean, argue with the red letters if you like. He says, since you have given him Authority over all flesh. Jesus is Lord. Look in Philippians 2. It's a familiar passage to believers. But man, should we... Read them again. Philippians 2, let's just start in verse 4, cause, or 3, because it's so beautiful. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or a thing to be used to his own advantage but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humiliated himself. I like to use the word humiliated instead of humbled, because humbled is like, it's just, we've softened it. Like a little lamb we got out back. It's just kind of, humbled. Jesus humiliated himself. We usually think of that in terms of like, <laughs> I was walking up the pulpit, and I tripped and fell and broke my nose, and blood was spraying everywhere. That would be, hum- again, English, why? Jesus humiliated himself. He humbled himself. Humility is not a trait It's not a spiritual gift. It's not a personality type. Humility is an action. It is what we do. Our flesh doesn't want it. Our flesh wars against it. It is a willful bowing down. Humble yourself. Don't pray that God would make you more humble. Humble yourself. Do it. Practice it. How can I humble myself before God? Jesus willfully lowered himself in humility. He humiliated himself. He lowered himself. How low? Philippians says, even unto death, even death on a cross. I can't help but quote the lyrics of a song that just haunts me. I I, I like to read it as a poem. It's called Lower Still by a man called My Epic. says, look, he's covered in dirt. The blood of his mother has mixed with the earth. And she's just a child who's throbbing in pain from the terror of birth by the light of a cave. Now they've laid that small baby where creatures come eat, like a meal for the swine who have no clue that he is still holding together the world that they see. They don't know just how low he has to go. Lower still, lower still. Look now, he's kneeling. He's washing their feet. Though they're all filthy fishermen, traitors and thieves, now he's pouring his heart out and they're falling asleep. But he has to go lower still. There is greater love to show. Hands to the plow, further down now, blood must flow. All these steps are personal. All his shame is ransom. Oh, do you see? Do you see just how low he has come? Do you see it now? No one takes from him what he freely gives away. Beat in his face. Tear the skin off his back. Lower still. Lower still. Strip off his clothes. Make him crawl through the streets. Lower still. Lower still. Hang him like meat on a criminal's tree. Lower still. Lower still. Bury his corpse in the earth like a seed. Like a seed. Like a seed. Lower still. The earth explodes. She cannot hold him. And all therein is placed beneath him. And death no longer reigns. 
It cannot keep the ones he gave himself to save. And as the universe shatters, the darkness, he alone will be honored. We will bathe in his splendor as all heads bow lower still. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. What is this name? It's not Jesus. He already had that name. What is this name? It's like, it's like Jesus. It's, it's like God is declaring in Philippians 2. You know, Jesus, for all of eternity, he's now known as Lord, as Yahweh, as Adonai, as Jehovah. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. He has been highly exalted. He left his place and went down low. And he returned from the earth, was resurrected, adopted sons and daughters, and now he is seated above it all. He's above it all. He has authority over all. Highly exalted, this word highly exalted in the Greek means to exalt beyond measure. Isn't that the most beautiful Greek definition? You've, I, I, just, I, was, I was sitting at Jupiter Donuts and I'm like, that's better than the donuts here. To exalt beyond measure, it means no matter how good you are at picturing exaltation, you're wrong. Higher still. Higher still is his authority that he has been given. What does he do with his authority? What does he do with it? He says, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life. Jesus uses his authority to give us life. Jesus gives life. Think of all the things that you would do with unlimited cosmic power. I can't help but think of the genie right now from Aladdin. Itty bitty living space. Like, we can't. What would we do with unlimited power? What would we do with unlimited authority? Would we not serve ourselves? Yet Jesus takes that power and that authority and he pours it out as life. To whom? To all that he was given. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. Have you ever given any thought to why Jesus loves us? I mean, we sang it, and it's beautifully true. Oh, how he loves us. He loves us. Do we ever stop and think, why? Why does Jesus love us? Jesus loves us because we were a gift to him from his Father. We're a gift given to the Son by the Father. A few chapters previous in John 6, Jesus says this, starting in verse 38. He says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. 
For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Will Jesus lose anyone that the Father has given Him? Mother and father, believe that over your child. If your son or if your daughter has been given to the son, he will be raised on the last day. No matter where he or she is right now, if they belong to Jesus, they will not be lost. Why? Why does Jesus love us so much? It's because we were given to him by his father. Now, if you're afraid or worried that that, 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 that seems to, to, to limit Jesus' love for us, you've missed it. Jesus' love is limitless because his love for his father is limitless. That's how much he loves us. All of you have something precious and worthless because of who gave it. Am I wrong? You have a worthless object in your house and you would weep if it was gone because of who gave it to you. One of my daughters, when she was younger, she likes pretty things and her mother gave her a snow globe which I, I'm not sure if I've spent much of my life contemplating the beauty of snow globes. But she had, and she was given a snow globe for Christmas. had a little name on it for mom. This daughter of mine also tends towards the dramatic, and she told us that she was fed up with this home, and she was leaving, and she packed a bag, and that she was leaving right now. And she put her bag down on the tile floor, the aforementioned tile that was torn up six months ago and just now replaced. She slammed her backpack down and we all heard the sound of glass shattering. And instantly my daughter's face melted. She zipped open the backpack and looked in and there was the shattered snow globe inside. Now I'll be worried about my daughter if she wept over a snow globe. Please, nobody weep over a snow globe. But this is what she said instantly, but mommy gave it to me. But mommy gave it to me. Why was it precious? Because mommy gave it. This past Christmas, um, in a little moment of just obnoxious generosity, my father-in-law, who's been known to be obnoxiously generous, um, hands me this Apple watch and says, hey, Tommy, I got myself a new one. Would you like this one? <laughs> yes. Wrapped it on my wrist and sauntered into the living room. And someone said, hey, Tom, what's that? And I said, oh, it's just your standard run-of-the-mill Apple Watch. And I saw my wife's face, and it melted. And instantly I looked at a box that was wrapped up. Right? So my wife had been saving her money, of which we have very little. She sacrificed to buy me a watch. Apple Watch. It's the one I'm holding on my wrist right now. Guess what? The one that my father-in-law wanted to give me was better. Try to take this one from me. Why? Because who gave it to me? Try 
try to take someone from Jesus' hand. Dare you. We are precious to his Father. We are precious to the Son because we were given by the Father. And what does he want to do with all those whom he was given? Wants to pour out life, peace, security, contentment, unity, satisfaction, eternal joy, presence, completion, wholeness, health, eternally. Oh, how he loves us. My daughter Eliza, we were in Georgia for a short little trip last year, and she found a stick. It was a stick. Imagine a stick in all of its glory. She named the stick Gary. It was Gary the stick. Gary was precious to her. Eliza wanted to sleep um, with Gary the stick and walk with Gary the stick and sing songs to Gary the stick and do dance numbers with Gary the stick. And I think she voted Gary the stick president, right? Of the world, I think it was. Gary the stick came home with us. Gary the Stick was a member of our family until another sibling got jealous of Gary the Stick and snapped Gary the Stick in half. Just like a snow globe, just like an Apple Watch, it was a stick. But it wasn't just a stick. And at the risk of seeming like far too sensitive of a man, I'm telling you, many days I just feel like a stick. That there's nothing remarkable about me. That if I ever had chances, I ruined them. I'm just a stick. Jesus says, you're not a stick. You have a name. It's Thomas Christian Shelton. I formed you. I molded you. I knitted you together in your mother's womb. I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you. And I am going to hold you forever. Because my Father gave you to me. You are precious. And he's praying for me right here. He's praying for me. Jesus, thank you for your prayer. I can build a life on this. I have life because of this. We were made precious because the Father laid us at the feet of his crucified Son and declared to him, These broken, dead, lost, and fallen orphans I give you. Wash them, resurrect them, and make them the pure, spotless bride you deserve. And the Son's reply was, It is finished. And we who believe in his name breathed our last with him were buried with him and are resurrected with him and now have immeasurable worth because we are held by him. Let's pray. Jesus, may we believe your words. May we just believe them. So much hurt and anguish because we just don't believe you. 
So many of us doubt the life that we have. May we just believe you. That you have given us life. For all of us that have believed on your name, you have given the right to become children of God. Not by the will of the flesh or blood or man, but yours, God. By your will, we have been resurrected and adopted and made alive. And we will never be lost. May we hear and believe the words of prayer from our great high priest. It's in his name, Jesus, Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, Adonai, that we pray. Amen.